take your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. I felt that this would be a very fitting text for what we're going to preach on. And again, the things that I say today are going to be from a biblical perspective. That means if uh, you're running your marriage by the world's model or the devil's battle plan, what I say is not going to make a lot of sense and you're not going to like it. But uh, if you're striving to be biblical, you're striving to be a child of God because you're born again and you want to enjoy the marriage that God had intended for you to enjoy, then these series of messages will be for you. So Genesis chapter 2 And by way of introduction, I will read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. If you're writing notes, you could put that in your notes. Hebrews 13, verse 4. And here's what the Bible says about marriage. Because we're living in a day where marriage is viewed that it's not good. And uh, so, and then the Bible says there in 1 Timothy 4, I quote it often. uh, But the Bible says that in the last days that there would be a popular doctrine to forbid to marry. You know, so one of the ways to forbid to marry would be to cheapen marriage. But here's what the Bible says about marriage. In Hebrews 13, verse 4, marriage is honorable. Amen. Marriage is a very honorable thing in all, he says, and the bed undefiled. But then he throws this in here, and many times God teaches us by contrast. And he says, but, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And that is correct. God is not for uh, shacking up. That's a very popular thing today. Uh, Just shack up, uh, uh, get together, and, and then get that connection, and we'll just figure everything else out later. Well, if you're doing that, uh, of course, that you're not in God's favor when that happens. That's not what God had intended. Uh, That's not what God wants you to do, or he does not want that for your life. And there can be not just physical problems because of that, but there can be emotional problems that come out of forbidding to marry or not wanting to marry. So you're just going to live together. There are emotional problems that come up because of that. And, and of course, then you don't have God's favor. You can fall under the judgment of God. But now back to Genesis, because this is the first mention of marriage when God puts two people together. And the Bible is so wonderful, so clear. Uh, It puts uh, a man and a woman together. There's nothing like the Word of God that clears up all our current uh, politically correct debates, you know, where people want to think that marriage is just a contract, you know, you can marry anything. And by the way, uh, they'll, they'll have you marrying your animals next, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. But God, when he set it up, he says, no, marriage is going to be one man, one woman. He also said that during his earthly ministry, uh, they come to him and says, well, and he answered it in that question when he said, uh, they brought that woman to him, said, well, she'd been married seven, eight times and married the brethren. And he said, so in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And God says, look, you, you, you err, not knowing the scripture. He says, in the beginning, it was not so. He's talking about marriage. I'm, I'm getting it confused. Marriage and divorce. They brought one about divorce. They brought that up. He says, well, uh, Moses said that we could divorce our wives. 
And so the Lord, he answers this. He says, well, look. He says, uh, in the beginning, it was not so. He says, in the beginning, God made them male, female. God answers so much when he said that. And I don't care how your, the world views it or how the skeptics view it, but God was clearing some problems up. A marriage, God's way is between one man and a woman. And that's what he says. And so that's what we're going to find here with Adam. Let's begin reading in verse 18. And the Lord said, uh, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And, and you said, we can make all kinds of commentary on that. Uh, I think some of you ladies will know it's dangerous to leave men alone by themselves. The house becomes a disaster area. Uh, food that you were preparing for other meals get eat. If there's any leftovers, <laughs> they get ate. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying. You come home, the carpet needs to be swept. The bathroom's got to be clean. It looks like a herd of elephants to run through there. Uh, and so <laughs> the Lord, he sees this real quick. It's not good that man should be alone. Of course, there's other reasons. I'm just giving you a little Todd Gabbard uh, ad lib this morning. I will make him a help meet for him. He needs a helper, a help meet. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. I mean, we learn so much. Uh, you know, God is always in front of science. He's teaching us right here. If you're going to perform a surgery, you want your patient in deep sleep. Uh, not shallow sleep, but a deep enough sleep they can't feel uh, the, the surgery. Uh, and he says, he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs. Uh, the Lord took a rib out and closed up the flesh instead thereof. That's the first surgery in the Bible made by the great physician. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, now, here's my text verses for today. Therefore, shall a man leave, that's going to be one point, his father and his mother, and shall cleave, there's the second point. So you got the leaving, you got the cleaving, and watch it, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh, that's the weaving. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and we're not ashamed, let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now for this time. And Lord, help me as I begin to preach on the meaning of I do. Lord, I believe it to be necessary. Uh, so many people today don't understand what that means when they take a marriage vow, what they're saying. Help us from the Word of God be able to expound upon this. If there be those that are lost today, Lord, maybe, uh, you know, they could see their need for a Savior, for salvation, that they would call out upon you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As I said before, marriage 
is instituted by God. Marriage is not obsolete. I don't care what the world and the devil tells you. It is an organism. It's made up of a man and a woman. And the purpose of God's, or the purpose of marriage, of God's plan here, Number one is to fulfill God's commandments. If you was to look in verse 28 of chapter 1, God gave a commandment there about uh, to a man and to woman about having dominion over the earth and being into uh, uh, animal husbandry and, and taking after and taking care of the things of the earth. So number one, the purpose of marriage is to fulfill God's commandments. Two, the purpose of marriage is for fellowship. It's not good that man should be alone. Uh, again, I've told this to you before. I'll tell it to you again. Uh, pastoring is a very lonely job. You say, well, don't you have God to talk to? Do talk to him quite a bit. But uh, it's important uh, as, as a pastor that you have somebody you can talk with. And if it wasn't for my wife, I don't know if I'd make it. So it's kind of nice to have Jen uh, around. And that's how God intended it, for a man to have a wife. It's a helpmeet. And so part of the, the goal of marriage is fellowship. So and one of the things I see that breaks down in a marriage is lack of communication. Well, that was the very function that God put you together for, was to talk, talk, talk. But yet people don't talk for fellowship. And then, of course, the third point is for their flesh to be one. We've seen that in our text. When they come together, this is called the pairing. One flesh, one fruit. It takes both. And, of course, in one faith. Let me give you this. When the family falls or when the family fails, all of society suffers all come through some home. What we're seeing going on in our nation today, the rioting, uh, the, the anarchy, this, this big problems, you got to understand it's a problem, it's a product. You're just seeing the fruit. It's a symptom of what's been going on since about the 70s is the breakdown in the home. The home is very important. So when the family fails... Many homes today, uh, I did not recently look up the statistics, but you can Google this and, and be careful with Googling, but get three or four different, uh, different sources. Uh, the, the amount of children having to grow up in single-parent homes is astounding. And I got news for you. It takes two. It takes a man and a woman. It takes a mother, and it also takes a father. That's what's wrong with a lot of young men today is they don't have fathers to help mold them and to show them how life works. You get a boys, uh, when they come into about 12 or 13, they don't need to be walking around walking like a woman. They need to be walking around like a man. They need to try to pattern themselves after their daddies. And yes, their daddies need to be in the home. And you need to be an an example. And men need to be men. So it's okay to get a little dirt under 
finger and fingernails, men. It's okay to mow a little grass, uh, men. It's okay to show your sons how to mow a little grass and get a little dirt under their fingernails. Men, let me give you this. It's okay to take the game controller out of their hand and say, today you're pulling weeds out from around the house because it's good to learn how to work with your hands. We've got a problem in our country and we're seeing the results or what we call the fruit of no fathers in the home. So when the family fails, all of society suffers because every individual comes through some home. Now, before I get into the I do, what does the meaning of I do? Let me give you some reasons not to get married. Yeah, give me some, I'll give, I hear this, and see, as a pastor, I'll do counseling, and I counsel people, and then I get the phone call that I think for Friday night, thank you, men, for taking care uh, for me. I had a phone call I had to take. It was time to eat. The men prayed and said, let's do this. Let's eat. I, I appreciate that, men. That's good. That's what I want. Uh, it, it don't stop and stop. Uh, start with the pastor. Uh, we know we're supposed to be eating at 6, and if you know, you know me, if we're eating at six, let's get the eating. And if I'm busy on a phone call uh, with another pastor, you pray and get and go on. And boy, that was good. And I was still first in line, wasn't I? Boy, that was good. Jenny was trying to figure out how in the world did that happen. Look, you don't ever have to worry about me and food. I will figure it out. Trust me. Trust me, I just come hardwired that way. I, I, oh, I turn into somebody that knows a whole lot about vegetation if I'm out in the woods. I'll find something to eat if I'm out there, trust me. Uh, and I'm always, with, I always have a pocket knife. Uh, I grew up making traps and snares. I'll find something to eat, don't you worry about that. But some reasons not to marry, and I've, I've learned this over the years, People say, well, I married this person to reform them. If you're you do not need to get married to try to reform somebody. Yeah, I'll say that again. You don't need to get married to somebody to try to reform them. It don't work. Number two, you don't need to get married to referee them. There's too many couples together, and one of the two couples has to be the parent in the relationship. That's what a referee is, a parent. you got to be their parent. There's too many men that are trying to be husbands, and they've got a child that they're married to that they got to teach them how to cook, teach them how to clean, teach them how to make a grocery list. Teach them. they got to teach them everything because their mommies were too busy running around trying to convince them they were pretty little princesses and they wasn't going to do nothing. They never learned how to do the dishes. They never learned how to separate the laundry, do the laundry. They didn't know how to run a household because they were not taught. Men and women, don't marry somebody so you can be their referee, their parent. Number three, you would not want to marry somebody to try to redevelop them. Well, I'm telling you, he's really, really good at heart. I'm just trying to change him. I'm going to reform him. That is not a reason to get married. I've heard that so many times. 
so many times. Let me tell you how that ends up working out. It only works out one of two ways. One, after 18, 20 years, maybe 30 years, you find out you can't reform them and you're going to go through a divorce. Number two, you find out and you live a very miserable, miserable, miserable life and you just remain and won't say a word. You don't, you don't have no relationship in the home, no fellowship in the home. You live on one side, she lives on the other. That's how that works out because you're trying to reform them. Two, or four, fourth one, to reposition them. Well, I know he don't believe like me. Then he ain't ever gonna believe like you. After the new wears off, he'll revert right back to his old ways. The Bible is clear not to be unequally yoked. So the person to marry, if you're saved, now I'm talking to saved, born-again people, is saved people, they marry saved people. You say, okay, does the Bible say that? Sure, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 17. We're not to be unequally yoked. Now I'm going to give you six things that's in that passage of scripture between verses 14 and verses 17. I'm not going to take the time to read it because I'm going to preach on the meaning of I do. So the person you're going to marry, number one, if you're saved, they need to be saved. A child of God, a Christian, has no business marrying a lost person. He's like, okay, preacher, I got married. I got saved. My, my spouse ain't. That's a complete different message. I'll preach on that in the weeks to come. How a saved woman, wife, can win a lost husband to Christ. It happens in the day and age we live in. That's okay. But I'm talking about a saved individual looking for a spouse. Save people, marry saved people. God commands it. The Bible is clear that righteousness has no fellowship with righteousness. The Bible is clear that light has no communion with darkness. Christ has no concord with Belial. Believers have no part with the infidels. And God's temple, that's us if you're saved, it has no part with idols. That's the teaching. So as a child of God, you don't need to go into a business partnership with a lost business partner. As a child of God saved, you as a saved person don't need to marry an unsaved person. As a church, a church does not partner with a church that is of a different faith. You don't do that. God commands us not to do that. So now I'm getting to what is the meaning of I do? And this is what should be in our minds or in your minds uh, when you get to say I do. What does that mean? And we see it right here in our text is number one, what you're saying when you say I'm due is that I'm ready. I'm ready. Now, that's the leaving part. Verse 24 in Genesis chapter 2, he says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. You see that? That says, <laughs> number one, there's going to be some leaving involved. Uh, I got news for you. 
mother-in-laws and father-in-laws can create real problems in marriages. They mean well. Let me tell you what the big problem is. A father and a mother, when they've taken the time to raise you from an infant, they have what we call a primary relationship status with you. That means they're totally responsible for you and you, they are a primary relationship. And what happens when you get ready to get married, that's why the father gives away the bride or the family. The father and the mother give away the bride. What they're doing, they're transferring their primary relationship to a secondary relationship. Did you get that? That doesn't mean that your mom and dad uh, can't give you good advice. It doesn't mean that your mom and dad can't help you out. What it means is now your spouse is your primary person, primary contact, and primary person to fellowship with. You make decisions together. You might ask your mom and dad for advice because they've lived more life than you on what maybe they would do. But if you've got a parent that's coming into your home and you're married and they're coming in your home with a belt trying to chase you around the house to get you to do something that you've not really agreed to do. You got problems. You got issues. So what's the meaning of I do? It means I'm ready. This is a leaving part. And, it, and what it's saying is you have a physical and a mental aptitude that is ready to engage in adult life. It means you're not a child no more. It means you're not a little kid. You know, I think there's an epidemic running around of 30 and 40-year-old men. They're either still living in their mommy's basement or they're married and they got a new mommy, which is actually supposed to be their spouse, and they're stuck in their bedroom playing video games. When you say, I do... What you're saying is, I'm ready. I'm ha I have the physical aptitude and I have the mental aptitude to engage in adult life. I like games. But I don't like games more than I like my spouse or my responsibility. That means you have that mental aptitude to engage in adult life, not just physically mature, but mentally mature. The meaning of I do says I'm ready and I'm ready to be a responsible for another person. I'm ready because I'm able to personally support and excel in God's given role for my life. That's what it means when you say I do. It means you're ready. You're ready to take responsibility for your actions. I mean, if you spend all your money on bubble gum and video games and your bills can't get paid, that's not mommy and daddy's fault. And it means you need to stand up and take responsibility and says, I made a bad decision or a wrong decision. You need to admit that to your spouse and work that thing out. Most conflicts in the home, 90% of them are financial in nature. Because one of the two parties are not responsible. They do not have the mental aptitude to make decent financial decisions. You know, I'm not running off to the beach if I can't afford my health care insurance. 
I'm not running off and buying a new vehicle if we don't have clothes to wear. I'm not, and again, now at 51, I got to have a good bed to lay on. And so for the first time in our 30-year marriage, I told Jen, go buy you a brand new bedroom outfit. We've never bought one. Yeah, I'll make payments on that instead of a, a, a new boat. Yeah, amen. Amen. That's what it means. It means you have that mental aptitude to make good financial decisions, one that's going to help both of you, not just one of you in the moment. That's what it means. This should be determined by what others say about you if you're ready or not. This is not what you say about yourself because anybody and everybody I've ever talked to that's had problems always said, well, I'm ready. I was ready while they're chomping their bubble gum and reading their comic books, playing on a $1,200 smartphone, but their wife can't buy a new diaper bag, can't pay the bills because there's no money left over. The meaning of I do says you're ready. You have that mental and physical aptitude to care and be responsible for another. Number two. He goes on here. That's just the leaving part. And again, don't take what I said about your parents, your in-laws and outlaws, not being involved. They're there for advice, but a lot of problems that you'll find is the mom and dad will not switch their relationship role from primary to secondary because your spouse should be your primary now. You make decisions together. Ladies, you don't run to your mama and your mama tells you, well, honey, you deserve this, and you deserve, that man should work four jobs to give you your new Mary Kay and all this stuff, and you need the powder puff, and you need the penny minis and all that. And you, oh, by the way, you need a brand new vehicle too. And then she comes home full of that nonsense, telling her husband what a deadbeat he is, and that he can't, <laughs> you know, he can't provide all these things. How dare he? Uh, that's not good. And that's not good for relationship building. Number two, we see, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave. There it is. There's our second point, the cleaving. That says, not only am I ready, but I'm willing. I'm willing. This means this has to do with the spirit. Now, you're going to see this thing breaks down. The meaning of I do covers your flesh, covers your spirit, and covers the soul. So many people try to hook up in the flesh first, thinking that the spiritual hookup and the soul hookup will just automatically fall into place. Not if he's worshiping the devil on a Friday night and you're trying to go to church on Sunday, it's not going to work. Not going to work. A lot of homes fall apart because of, of different uh, backgrounds spiritually. But I'm willing is saying that you have the spiritual aptitude. It means you want to do life God's way. I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to saved people. It means you're willing to be accountable to my spouse. Ladies, he's your primary if he's your husband and you are accountable to him. You, you don't just ride off into the wild blue yonder and never say nothing. He's just got to figure it out. 
Men, you don't roll off on a three-day hunt fish trip and never have talked that over with your wife. That's not, <laughs> that's not very good. It's not good on the relationship either. But I'm willing. You're going to be accountable to one spouse, not the ex. See, we're having to deal with these type of situations in our churches. And if, you've, and, and if you have a situation where you have an ex involved, I get that. That's the day and age we live in. I understand we have to deal with marriage and divorce. Uh, I am grounded in, in reality. We've got to deal with that, and that's not the end of the world. But let me tell you something, ladies. Your ex is not your primary. I'll say it again. Your ex is not your primary. I need to get some amens on that. Your ex is not your primary. They had their chance. And if I go on what you're saying, he was not right. I mean, after all, if he was perfect, you'd still been with him, right? He had his chance. He is now a secondary. And the only reason you're together or, or you would have any kind of contact is because of the children. And I get that. You shouldn't be closer to him than you are your primary, your current spouse. That is a source. By the way, 60% of all people that are married for the second time, their marriages end in divorce. Whereas first people that get married the first time around, 50% of those fail. Why? Because they don't learn the lesson. Your ex is not primary. People, I, I don't understand this crowd that says, well, I get along with my ex better today than ever before. There's something wrong with that. There's something straight up wrong with that. You should be closer to your husband. Husbands, you should be closer to your wife than any other person. I, as the pastor, do not go out on coffee dates with another woman. Don't happen. I, I don't have little counseling sessions with other people, other ladies. It don't happen. My wife, Jenny, Jindora, is my best friend. She is my primary. I'll, I'll pay you later, honey. She told me to say that. She said she'd flog me if I didn't. But we agreed to that 30 going on 31 years ago. And oh, by the way, I love her more today than I loved her 31 years ago. I can't live without her. I mean, man, I'll tell you what. She's everything to me. And I thank God for every day. God knew what he was doing when he put us together. He really did. He really did. But it means you're willing. This is the cleaving part. You're willing to be with this person only. You're willing to do your part in God's plan to provide for each other and your family. And you're willing to stay together for better or for worse. I don't know what's up with these people. A little something goes wrong and they're out of here. I said that phrase last week, you know, uh, I don't care if it's your fault, my fault, nobody's fault, I'm out of here. Most people have that view in marriage too. It don't need to be that way. There are seasons in marriages. There are good times and bad times and in between times. And there's, there's uh, times when it's very fruitful. There's times when there's a famine around. It's, that's just seasons of life. That's normal. But this last point, this weaving together says I'm able. 
Now that speaks of the emotional aptitude. You are a body, soul, and a spirit, and every individual has emotional needs that must be met. A lot of times people go through divorces because one of the two spouses' emotional needs are not being met. And therefore, some predator at works picks up on that and begins to minister to those emotional needs. And the next thing you know, you're madly in love with somebody that's not your spouse. And so you say, we just grew apart. Well, when you say I do, it means I'm able I have the emotional aptitude. I'm able to conduct myself in a mature matter or manner in all matters. <laughs> that means you're not going to be a baby about everything. Out of the two of us, I'm probably the bigger baby. <laughs> I got in such a habit years ago when we had children and we wanted to teach them to call Jenny mom. And so I just got in the habit of calling her mom. She's mommy. You know, she's mom. And like, that can create problems <laughs> because then I want to be a baby. <laughs> and so Jenny's raised three kids. <laughs> but on a serious note, men, we got to have that emotional aptitude for the weaving. Uh, and ladies, too, you're able to conduct yourself in a mature manner. Uh, two, you're able to communicate your thoughts and desires. We're back to this communication thing. So I just can't talk to him. Well, he might not be as easy to talk to as somebody else. I get it. I'll tell this. I won't give the name because I didn't want them to know I was analyzing them, but it's nobody here. We spent some time while we was on vacation, and we hadn't seen uh, this couple in a while, and uh, I knew he was a quiet type person anyway. You know how long it took for this individual just to open up to start carrying on a conversation? Three and a half hours. But at the end of three and a half hours, I couldn't get him to shut up. Your spouse might be a person that is, it might take them a little while to open up. You know, you can't just come in. They might have had a bad day. Might have just come in from traffic. They might need a few moments of silence because they're trying to talk themselves down from committing cold-blooded murder. Somebody pulled over and almost caused them an accident, you know. They, they need some time to cool off. You know, be nice to them. Get them a glass of tea. You know, again, men, now, don't, don't get that picture. Your king sitting on the throne. She's got a grovel at your feet. That, that's that's bad picture. But give them some time, and then it might take a little longer time to get this, your spouse, to open up, to begin to talk. Jenny and I begin to uh, experience this and deal with this because when you have children at home, it's hard to talk. And sometimes it's hard to talk in the home if you're a husband and wife because in there you're mommy and daddy. And so I advise you to pull apart. You need, some, you need a date time. And what Jen and I used to do, and we still like to do it, we still get away, but we're empty nesters now, so we, 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 we can communicate pretty easily in the house. We would go down to the boat ramp on a Friday night and watch them as they, people launched their boats and tried to take, oh, we've seen so much fun stuff. You ever want just to laugh? Get into a real popular boat dock and watch people launch their boats and try to, 
land their boats, husbands and wife teams. Oh, my soul. We'd sit there and laugh and laugh. And, and what happened is over the course of about 30 minutes, all of a sudden, everything that we wanted to talk to our spouse about all that week begin to come back to us because one, we're not in a home where it's mommy and daddy and there, there could be some uh, tension in there maybe. So get out of the home, get out of that so you're both equals. Get into a location that's fun. I always have fun around food, so that's cool. Picnic, take a picnic. But we begin to watch and have fun watching people launch boats. That's why I don't like to launch my boat where there's a lot of people because I don't want people laughing at me. <laughs> but then we begin to open up and then we begin to talk like, oh, I wanted to talk to you about this. And then I say, oh, I wanted to say this or I'm thinking this. It will take your relationship to the next level. And when you say I do, what you're saying is I'm able to communicate my thoughts and desires. This means to know and to understand your spouse's love language. Men, do you know your wife's love language? Women, do you know your husband's love language? That's that emotional need that must be met. And are you able to communicate in that dialect? Because not only do you have the love language, you might have a particular dialect that goes with that love language so that you can minister to your spouse's needs. Let me get, I, I had them, I, I, I missed the quality time one. I had to look that up. And I don't know why, because that's one of your primary love languages. Words of affirmation is a love language. Does your spouse like to be uh, talked good to? Build them up a little bit. How about gifts? I like gifts. Gifts are cool. You like gifts. Some of you all like gifts. That, that's a way to help minister to that emotional need. Acts of service. Now, that's one of my primaries. Acts of service. I don't care that Jenny, I don't care that she would ever tell me she loved me ever again as long as she gets my first cup of coffee in the morning. I'm good. I'm good. And you say, why? Why is that? I'll tell you why. My one of my primary love languages is acts of service. That's what proves to me that Jenny loves me is when she gets up and gets my first cup of coffee. The problem is one of Jenny's primary love languages is acts of service too, so I got to get the second cup. In marriage, it's not all take. <laughs> it's a lot of give and take. But then you got physical touch. And then you have quality time. But you got to understand what dialect. When it comes to quality time, some people's love language on quality time is they want to do an activity together. Now, Jen's not like that. Jenny's dialect in quality time, that is her primary love language. Her dialect is we're just together. So many times in the evening, Jenny and I sit in a love seat and we don't ever say a word to each other, but we're together. That's quality time. That's her love language, her primary. And I make sure every day that we spend that quality time together. Matter of fact, a big date for Jen, and she, she's always been great when it comes to going out and date. Jenny's not a type of person that wants fancy food. Yesterday, it was a Dairy Queen cone, twist cone. What is that, $1.89? Awesome. But you 
Men and women need to know your spouse's love language. What is their primary love language and what is their dialect? You see, that helps you bond on that emotional level. And if that never happens, you're headed for trouble. You need to be able to handle not getting your way all the time. <laughs> Seriously. Spouses need to handle not getting their way all the time. If it was me, I eat Chinese buffet every day. <laughs> Jenny don't like it. It's hard on her system. So I don't pout and throw a fit. But of course, I like all kinds of food. But I will be happy not getting my way to get something she wants and vice versa. Sometimes Jenny bites the bullet as long as we're close to home. <laughs> but you, you should be able to <laughs> put your needs before your other spouse's needs. You need to put their needs before your needs. That's what it means when you say, I do. It means you're able to leave your father and mother. It means you're I'm ready. That's what you're saying. I'm ready. I'm ready. I have the physical and mental aptitude. But two, I'm willing. I want to do this God's way. But then, not only am I willing, not only am I, I want to, but I'm able to. You'll find your marriage will be so much better understanding the meaning of I do. I think I got a marriage quiz in the back. I should have brought it out to give it to y'all and let you take it home because sometimes, a lot of times, you don't know what part of your marriage needs work. And I got a little quiz back there that I found. It'll tell you exactly what you might need to work on in your marriage. Marriages are not destroyed in one day. They're destroyed over time. And I got news for you. That individual might love you so much, but might come a day because you won't pay attention, you won't take care, or you're not going to uphold the meaning of I do where they're just going to have to separate because they can't deal with it. What is the meaning of I do? I believe it has to do with the leaving, the cleaving, and the weaving. It's a body, soul, and a spirit. And they must all three work together in harmony or you're going to have issues in your marriage. Let's all stand this morning.